Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Life Enthusiast Co-op's online radio network, restoring vitality to you and the planet. I'm your co-host, Scott Patton, and joining us, as usual, is the founder of the Life Enthusiast Co-op, Martin Patella. Hey, Martin, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I I feel no pain. <laughs> I guess that's that's good enough for a man of my age. <laughs> yes, a man in his uh, early 20s. <laughs> you know what's you know what's really funny is that as we as we get older our tissues get stiffer right they cross linking the fibrin fibers within the tissues knit tighter and so there's less space less room for water less room for plumpiness less room for circulation so I remember that when I was 20, it was easy for me to sit for six hours and then get up and walk. Right. Well, these days it's not as easy, and I see it especially in people that are less well-off than I am, is that for them to get going it takes several steps because everything is stiff. And I think that has much to do with the general level of inflammation. Hmm. But what the heck? That's just simply related to me feeling no pain. <laughs> I get into these sidebars, right? Uh, always something reminds me of something else, and I'm chasing after that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you can be talking about things that happen uh, in our bodies, and there are also things that we do uh, on our websites to keep them young and youthful looking. And oh. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say that if you went to our website, www.life-enthusiast.com, you might see something a little different. That's true. From the last podcast to this one, we have uh, we have changed it. We're, we're um, moving the website into the uh, web 3.0. It's becoming uh, mobile device friendly and uh, in the modern design and all of that. Cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, the, the, it's in the eye of the beholder, so I certainly hope that our customers think so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very nice. All right, so uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about is something that's been in the news up here in Canada for the last uh, uh, couple days. And yep. that is, uh, and it's something that I think if it's happening here, it'll be happening anywhere where there's lots and lots of people. And that is uh, something that gets into the beef. Oh, what's, uh, oh yeah, right. Okay, the news. Well, in the news up in Canada, we're having this one major plant. In Canada, the uh, processing of beef has been highly concentrated. They are this is the classic march toward concentration, towards larger scale, towards industrial production. So there's just one major meat rendering or processing facility in the West and one in the East. And the one in the West, well, anyway, between the two of them, they're responsible for 70% of Canadian meat processing. And the one in the East is fine. The one in the West has a problem. Yes. It started started putting out... Uh, beef that's t tainted with a specific strain of E. coli, Escherichia coli. E. coli is the um, 
is the bacterium that actually lives in the tract of beef naturally. Like cows have this bacterium in their gut. It just it is there. It should be there. It does its job there. But when you're when you're butchering cattle, when you're killing the animals, the way you should deal with it is that you're cutting out the gut and removing it from the carcass uh, without spilling uh, its content. Right. So as long as it's in the gut of the of the cow, it's where it's supposed to be. But if you're not careful and it gets out of there and it gets onto the hind legs or wherever, then all of a sudden it's a problem. Well, once once you cut it open, once you uh, breach the whole thing, all of a sudden now you are mixing this essentially feces with uh, with the beet with the meat cuts. That's the stuff that you're hoping to sell. Well, that still shouldn't be a big problem, right? If you cook it, um, oh, the bacteria doesn't survive. So uh, if you boil it or if you, uh, if you roast it, you're fine. Right. So the problem is, is that people aren't cooking their meat as well as they should be. Yes. And it, well, actually, it, it should go to this, this point, And that is... If you're cutting, if you're cooking a cut that has that is solid, you know, like um, a steak, it only has the outside surface that is potentially exposed to the contamination. So if if, if you, for instance, barbecue the steak, you singe the outside surfaces. There's nothing like the bacteria will not survive there, and it won't get into the interior where it's red and juicy. No, no. So there's a couple interesting things about this. One is, uh, so in Canada, this is a mass contamination scare. It's one of our largest beef recalls in uh, recent memory. And there's a, a scientist who's gone on record as saying that even though there's this massive contamination scare, E. coli illness is no higher than normal. Right. And uh, so I, I guess I'm kind of wondering what uh, what normal is. And the other thing that, that he said that I thought was interesting was uh, a lot of local and grass-fed beef is now becoming very, very popular, as if uh, grass-fed beef made any difference to, I mean, and I think probably grass, you know, cows running through the, you know, the meadows eating grass is great, but the problem isn't that these cows that were, that caused the E. coli scare were fed grain instead of grass i mean that had really nothing to do with it right right but um if if you really think it through the grass fed beef is the right stuff cows yes. cows that that are in nature are they they you know the original cattle that before industrial um agriculture when were we living had on bisons roaming the bald prairie right that was grass fed bison yes. and of course we should probably put in the pitch for metabolic typing saying that if your uh, ancestors were living in that terrain in that situation then that they have adapted to eating a high purine uh, food and so if you are the high purine adaptation your health food is grass-fed beef 
or deer or elk or other ungulates, that sort of food. And salmon and trout and uh, anyway, <laughs> too many sidebars. So speaking about the uh, the popularity of grass-fed beef, most grass-fed beef is uh, butchered in a small facility, typically right on the farm or in, in something local. Yeah, so, there's a name for that, and I forget what it is, but there are, are specific licensed inspected um, abattoir is yeah. the is the word that they use for the place where they um, yeah. turn turn a cow into steak. So this place in it's in Alberta that has the problem. This is like a massive abattoir. Oh yes, that that is a facility that employs about two thousand people, if I remember right. No, I know I'm not remembering. There? Pardon me. Could you uh, imagine working there? It's it's big. I saw the. Uh, I saw the workers standing in a hallway, you know, with their arms folded, sort of watching the proceedings and whatever. And a lot of them, uh, you can see, are fresh immigrants. A lot of the faces there are Ethiopian. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, these guys are doing the hard, hard, hard work of slicing with a very sharp knife all day long. Anyway, setting all of that aside, the, the issue of industrial food processing and contaminations, I think, is a big deal because our, as we increase the scale of production, if we make a mistake, the scale of the problem is also very big. And we have, we have seen it in the contaminated cucumbers in Europe and the contaminated uh, spring lettuce in, in California not long ago and and so on. Remember the spinach, mm -hmm. the spinach scare. All of a sudden, it had, it had. Um, oh, I can't, can't think of that. Uh, which of the bacterium it was, but I remember it was most likely from feral hogs. If you can imagine that the uh, the hogs that get away and live wild in the middle of agricultural fields are defecating all over the so-called organic food, and then, of course, the natural bacteria that lives in the hog's um, digestive tract gets on this uh, spinach, and then this spinach gets put into these gigantic baths, you know, baths where they're washing it before they package it. Well, if it's contaminated, the whole thing is shot. Right. And in a, in a similar manner, this ground beef that we're dealing with here is uh, they're just throwing all these gigantic amounts of meat into this meat grinder, massive size, and it's all getting mixed together. And so, so you now yeah. have yeah. you know you know you have now lost the ability to isolate the contamination. You now have to recall the whole thing. And that's that's gigantic. I mean, it's running into millions. Mm -hmm. Well, there's something else interesting about this uh, article that ties in with what you were saying about grass-fed. And they're saying that scientists are working intensely to find ways to control the dangerous pathogenic forms of E. coli, crowded feedlots where most conventional beef cattle spend their final months being fed grain to fatten them before slaughter, are right. often implicated as a potential source of contamination. Because research has shown that feedlot diets can increase the risk that E. coli 
whatever this particular number is, is present in the animal's digestive tract, which is made more acidic by the high grain content of their feed. Grass-fed yes. cattle are less pathogenic acid tolerant, have less pathogenic acid tolerant E. coli in their digestive tracts than grain-fattened cattle, according to the, right. the researchers. So, yes, so so that's an interesting point. This is sort of like growing superbugs, right? This particular yeah. this particular strain with that exotic number is really bad because when you ingest it and get it into a human, uh, it actually causes kidneys to shut down and massive health problems. I mean, it's not funny when you get infected with that. It's not a small problem. It's it's a big problem. Yeah. And we make it worse by fattening up the cattle with grain beforehand. And then also, like you said, if you, if you make a mistake, all of a sudden you could have tons and tons and tons of meat that's contaminated. And right. then if you don't cook it properly. So, I mean, that's the other side of this whole thing. That's, right? that's the beginning. We are actually trying to protect people from themselves. Because if they simply just made sure that the meat that they are eating is cooked. And where, it, where it needs to be cooked, which is the outside of the meat. Right, all the surfaces. Right. So, so if it's a steak, it's no big deal. If it's stewing beef uh, cut into cubes, you throw it in a, in a pot and you brown it on all sides and you, you stew it, you kill all the bacteria. Right. The, the only problem that I can visualize is the hamburger, is the ground beef. Yeah. Is where you turn it into patties and then you cook it and uh, you leave this the center pink. Yeah. So pink is really good in a steak in the center, but in a hamburger it's uh, dangerous. Be, yeah, dangerous. I was going to say deadly. So No, not, not necessarily. Good. Just just dangerous, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but th this is this is very interesting to try and analyze what what's really going on, right? The, the situation is really the industrial production. The, uh, so number one, we have been feeding the cattle with too much grain. We're pushing them to go fat. Yeah. And, um, We're turning the, them acidic, which the E. coli love. Yes. It's the, it's the superbug strain of the E. coli that lives specifically in the grain-fed cattle. And this is called a finishing lot. Like you, you have a uh, um, cattle's grazing on fields out there in the wild, and that, and at some point they're collected and sent to feedlots. And a feedlot is essentially a pen where they are feeding them mainly grains. You probably have seen these operations. They're sort of crowded into small corrals, and uh, and it's it's pretty ugly. And then from that spot, they are usually transported into the processing plant, the abattoir. Right. So what else does your newspaper say? Well, that was the, that was the biggest thing. A lot of people are going to local and uh, uh, grass-fed uh, beef. Yeah. And, uh, and I would suppose, too, organic uh, ranches are going to be just uh, very excited about all the extra business they're going to be yeah yeah my wife is not going to be happy because she has been buying grass-fed beef uh, from a local farmer for the longest time and now she's going to have to compete with every scared uh, shopper <laughs> for that for that same um, 
well, you you already you already said it that the prices are going up and the uh, the farmers are happy. Yeah, over 1.1 million kilograms of beef from the plant have been recalled in the United States. So that's 2.4 million pounds. Yeah, that's, that's a ton. That's about five bucks a shot or something. I don't I don't remember what it costs for a pound of beef these days. Yeah, I would. Yeah, five. So, so that's a that's about a ten million dollar problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Well, I'm thinking, you know, a million pound, two million pounds of beef is an awful lot of beef. Right, and uh, they can turn it into dog food. You know, they they usually cook stuff and turn it into something else. It's not a total loss, but. But anything like that, well, I guess, you know, the good news is, is it makes everybody kind of wake up and take notice about what's happening with the with the food distribution that they're taking part in. You know, we've yes. talked about Monsanto and gen- genetically modified uh, foods, bef- you know, before. And then here we've got another case of trying to um, to really really centralize it my mind just went to the old communist regimes where everything was centralized and you'd hear stories about in china where they had you know a gazillion size 13 shoes that they didn't know what to do with because they were somebody decided that 13 was going to be popular (laughs) yeah these you know this is what we're making and they would just make it without really you know giving it much thought yes so decisions being made far from the uh well, this, this, this is so. This is quite different, you know. This is this is the natural behavior of the capitalist uh, setup, is where uh, scale always gives you a cost advantage. So, the bigger the batch, the be- bigger, better the special specialization, the um, the faster the throughput. So the the lower the overall cost. So indeed, you are giving customer value by concentrating production into a larger uh, into a larger setting where you can put things through faster with greater efficiency however i think, I think in a cold way that's true but right one of the things that uh, i've noticed is we have these huge massive big box stores and like costco and uh, the the Yes. Walmarts and the rest of it. And what I've noticed is sprouting out around them are small stores. Like one of the ones that's in my neighborhood by a big box store is a real small little bakery. It happens to be a franchise. And they basically have one or two glass cases full of of bread and, and muffins and stuff. And they have their own little twist on it in terms of there's no preservatives. Everything is pretty much baked that day. And and beside him is a little deli type shop, and beside him is I forget what there's a little ba- actually flower shop, which surprises me because I don't know how a flower shop could compete with a big box like a rose is a rose is a rose, right? But that's necessarily <laughs> the case. Well, so, I think I think what they're uh, cashing in on is the traffic, right? It's yeah. the parking. It's the parking lot that's helping. And, and differentiating themselves from the big box store, so you can't really get white bread in the bakery. But you can get multi-grain, preservative-free, no, you know, right, organic flour bread. Yeah, so, you know. yeah, something that's that's now good for the small batch. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that and it's all small batches. I mean, it's just amazing how much variety they've got in there, uh, considering you can look and see the oven, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's good. And, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And um, well, so how would I how would I translate that into this food processing in general? Well, I think the way um, that we do it is we say, look, you raise a cow in the middle of the countryside somewhere. Yeah. What's the point of driving it 3,000 miles to get killed? Well, if it makes economic sense, you will. But how could that? I mean, you know, if you had if you had some guy who you could pay 20 bucks an hour, which is probably what you're paying the people in the slaughterhouse to cut up the meat in the local butcher shop, then you're saving all of that gas there, all the gas back, and you're eating something kind of local. So yeah. is it is are we talking about a you know a, a, a systemic issue here where it's kind of like um, you know the, we've got this plant on this land the land is worth a million dollars now and the plant is well probably not worth anything so but we could sell it and have a million dollars go on our bottom line this year and and so the farmers have to ship you know the the cattle uh you know an extra 10 miles or something well that's not our problem that's their problem so the farmer you know he goes without shoes for half the year because he's got to spend all that extra gas uh and with same thing with the with the grains which i know a little bit more of coming from the prairies is they used to have these train tracks going all over the place and they'd have these little towns with three or four elevators and of course they said you know what we can get rid of all the train tracks and we can get rid of all these little towns and we can have one small city with a couple of these massive super elevators which hold you know the equivalent of 5000 small elevators have the farmers take it there put it all together and ship it all at once so mm -hmm. which of course causes this could cause the same problem that you talked about with all this beef right because mm -hmm. if there was a problem with the grain and you knew it was coming from elevator 14 then you just got rid of the grain in elevator 14 you know a couple of truckloads or 10 truckloads, yeah. but now right. if it's coming from that elevator and it's got, you know, 3,000 tons, uh, oops. Yeah, yeah, this is the scale, right? Like, you, you start from trucks, and then you go from trucks to uh, uh, railroad cars, and then you ship the railroad cars to a major storage, and then you load it from the railroad cars onto the ship, right? Yeah. The, the, the bulk carrier. And then the bulk carrier takes it from, uh, say, Vancouver, Canada, to uh, wherever it needs to go, London, England, or wherever. I don't know where they sell it to, yeah. some, po some port in Russia, yeah. or some port in Russia, and they unload it from there. Well, if it turns out that there's some contamination anywhere, that entire shipload should be shot, or lost, or right. discarded, or destroyed. Not, not, I don't know what the deal is, right? With the beef, um, I hope that instead of just destroying it, they'll just cook it, which is what you do. Right, yeah. They, they can turn it into dog food. Um, anyway, so uh, where, where are we here? <laughs> I personally would advocate for food that's local, that's small production. The, the, the more you scale up, the greater the chance is that the right stuff has been teased out of the, of the food. When you grow the food on large 
tracts of land using fertilizers. You're pushing the soil hard. You're, you're dropping the mineralization levels in the soil and in the food. And then you take that same grain that you grew on deficient soils and you feed it to cattle that's supposed to eat grass in the first place. You're, you're creating a product that's possibly very tasty and very seductive to our, um, to our taste buds. But it's not all that wonderful for, for what it does to our bodies, for our health. Right. Actually, I just found an article about what the union at this uh, meatpacking plant has to say. Yep. And uh, they're calling for actually for a public inquiry. And the president of the United Food and Commercial Workers local uh, says that the processing line at the uh, XL Foods Lakeside plant in Brooks moves too quickly. And he wants to see a public inquiry into the problems that led to the plant shutdown. He said that, and this is, just blows my mind, between 300 and 320 carcasses go by workers every hour. And employees may make between 3,000 and 4,000 cuts a shift. This results in less time in which to make sure knives are sanitized after each cut. So it's, again, what you were saying, right? You know, what if there's only one carcass that was a problem, but I cut it, and then I cut the next, you know, the next carcass and the next carcass, and each one of them gets more and more of this E. coli stuck on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, he said cattle are supposed to be washed before they enter to ensure their fur is free of manure, but sometimes the water is not hot enough to get all of the excrement off. And he yes. said the excrement from the cattle is backed up onto the killing floor at times and force workers yes. to walk through the waste, and then they track it through the plant. And then he said, and you mentioned this when you said you watched it on TV, he said the plant's increasing reliance on temporary foreign workers is also a problem. The company has mm -hmm. not worked with the union to ensure the workers are properly trained and know what their rights are. And he said uh, whistleblower practices protection needs to be put in place for workers because they're afraid to speak out for fear of reprisal when they see stuff that isn't being done right. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of issues that are that are going on there from training to cleanliness to speed with which, you know, things need to be done. And... Um, all, you know, all of which compound the problem, right? Right. So you're you're describing the issues that deal again with the scale of production. We are, we are now in the food production where we were with automobiles somewhere around uh, 1945 to 1955, where we yeah. are, you know, we're losing the brands, right? We're we're consolidating the. Uh, the Dodge and the Chrysler and the uh, Hudson and the whatever, I forget all the names, I don't even know. They have all become consolidated into uh, three. I think we had about 120 car manufacturers in the United States in uh, 1939, and and only three of them were left in 1965 or whatever the years. I'm, I'm just right guessing yeah. at this point. And it's scary to think of, you know, really the, inter the interconnectedness between all the brands you hear about now because Toyota owns a percentage of GM or yeah, I'm not saying that's true but you know, they, no. they all kind but of they did, they did make a partnership and created Saturn and uh, then they closed it down but uh, anyway just going going to um, to the important part to the to the issue that matters is that uh, that the scale is not always in your favor we have talked about the general food production 
in the industrial manner where we're talking about how uh, the grains or all the calorie foods are grown on fields that are pushed too hard. They're demineralized. And so you have uh, um, lots of calories but not enough nutrients. Here we are illustrating this point in the in the cattle is where they are finished in the feedlots, which is where they get po poisoned or toxic with these super super strains of the bugs that thrive only in the acidic gut, and then they are taken into the produ production facilities and and uh, in the pursuit of the last dollar of the uh, you know we're trying to push the line as fast as humanly possible, and then. Uh, then we run into these limitations. We run into the problems. And it's really hard to be the, the victim of the experimentation of what's possible, especially if it's your 10-year-old uh, kid who's just eaten an undercooked hamburger and she's now on dialysis for her, the rest of her life because uh, of all of these complex issues. Right. And, you know, this is just... Uh I was just thinking too. This is a massive example, but uh, you know, when you go to your local grocery store, they've got uh, butchers there. They're grinding up meat. They're they're doing things. Not all of it just uh, gets packaged somewhere else. So uh, it's not just um, here's this big bad. Uh, you know, here's a you know they're bad in the, in this huge factory somewhere. If we're not careful. Uh, it could happen on a smaller scale, just you know the locally. you know the local butcher has bought the quarter or the half of the beef from that same abattoir. It's just hasn't been cut into smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. So it still will have those feces on the surface. Maybe. Call me maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, so bottom line, what we're saying is, is make sure you cook your meat properly. If yeah, properly. If it's a big cut, uh, the only well, it's the surface. So if it's if it's solid pieces, the surface is obvious. Yeah. If it's uh, ground up, the uh, the surface is everywhere. It's throughout. So through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Cool. That's, that's that's the whole story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right. Well, Martin, I think this is a it's an important topic. It's one that needs to be talked about, and um, and I, and I think that's one that we'll be hearing more and more about as we as we move forward because it's the direction that the food industry is going in, and it's one that when you have a problem, it's not just a small problem. It's a it's a massive problem, and it affects a lot of people. Just from the workers to the distributors to the people in the grocery chains to the to the farmers to the people that actually eat it and get sick to the people that uh, change their whole diet because they're afraid of what uh, what they might be eating. Oh, that was an interesting thing. I saw a clip on television, uh, and uh, of course it was filtered and chosen. But they were saying, "Well, now that I have uh, heard about this, uh, I'm kind of tempted to just skip the meat altogether." Hmm. As in, like, I'm I'm going to stop eating beef, or I'm going to stop eating meat altogether. I'm going to go vegetarian. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, <laughs> here comes the metabolic typing again. Well, it may help some people, but it could cause all kinds of trouble to others. 
Because if, if you're if you're supposed to be eating a high fat, high protein, high purine diet, it's not going to be very wonderful to try and be a vegan. Right, and that's why we see some people who say they're vegetarian and they just look awful. Yeah, unhealthy. And, and we see other people that say I'm vegetarian and they just look great. Yes. Because we're yeah. all individuals and we all have that uh, individual type. Yes. Of what's best for us. So anyway, that's yet another pitch for uh, our metabolic typing that you can find out about. We'll post the link near the podcast just so you can uh, so you can realize that uh, that eating the right thing is even more important than you would know. But anyway, I think we should just uh, say goodbye and uh, return in a in a while to uh, continue this saga. What do you think, Scott? Sounds good. Martin, if somebody wanted to know more about uh, some of the products that you talk to people about or they need some coaching for their health, what should they do? Um, easy to find, life-enthusiast.com, and that's spelled E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-S-T, or call this number, 1-866-543-3388. We're uh, available, approachable, and knowledgeable, and we're able to offer guidance as far as uh, turning a life of chronic disease into a life of permanent health and wellness. Awesome. And we call it, yeah, we call it uh, restoring vitality to you and to the planet. (laughs) Uh, Sorry to cut into you. You got got it out just before I could. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.